My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Post Credit Podcast. I am your host, Eric Iconiano, senior writer at ProBible.com. Today, it is just me and a couple of interviews. My buddy Brandon is up in Toronto doing some kind of Brandon big brain shit. Cade, unfortunately, does not watch Ahsoka, so we cannot recap that this week. Neither of them have seen the creator, but they allegedly say that they're going to do so this weekend, so here's what the podcast is going to do. This week, right now, you're going to hear my interviews with Dan Trachtenberg, director of 10 Cloverfield Lane, the pilot episode of The Boys, and the Predator prequel, Prey, and then I have an interview with Humphrey Kerr, who is a main cast member of the FX docuseries, Welcome to Wrexham, who is also the executive director of Wrexham Football Club. Next week, once I have Brandon and Cade back in tow, we are going to probably recap the finale of Ahsoka and talk the creator. So let's go to a quick break and then it will be my interviews and I will talk to you next week. Folks, today I am joined by Dan Trachtenberg, director of 10 Cloverfield Lane and Prey, which after much request from the physical media community, of which I am a proud card-carrying member, is releasing on 4K, Blu-ray, and DVD on October 3rd. Thank you so much for your time today, Dan. Thanks for having me. Lovely to see the, the shelves. Oh, yeah. You know, I just started to collect this year because after... Let's just say a certain channel got rid of a certain show that I loved and only came out a few years ago. It really hit me like, whoa, man, like if I want to hold on to something, I need to physically hold on to that. So obviously I am, you know, just seeing the story around your film, uh, you know, debuting on streaming and then getting the 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 drum beat from fans to have a physical copy. And this is not even on my list. But now that we're on it, that's got to feel pretty cool, right? It's it's awesome. Yeah, it's tr- it's truly awesome. Uh, I, you know, I I I felt in my heart there was just no way that there was going to be future Predator box sets, and our film wasn't going to be included. I was like, there's got to be a way. And thankfully, as you as you mentioned, the fans beat the drum, and even more so, the uh, the head of the studio, the head of 20th Century, is a massive uh, physical media fan mm. uh, and also wanted the disc and so when he had the the arsenal the ammunition of what the fans were saying and and his own interest uh he, he you know we were able to pull this off yeah so i just want to say i i only keep my blu-ray shelf for the top of the top pray is staying yeah that buddy. is for sure awesome all right Super so cool. you were born in 1981 predator came out in 1987 what would 10 year old dan say if you went back in time and told him hey buddy you're gonna make one of these yourself once yeah i would i would freak out you know the first uh when predator came out i was obviously not allowed um not obviously (laughs) but thankfully uh i was not allowed to watch it but i i was in the back of a carpool on the way to a karate tournament and all the sixth grade boys had just seen the movie. And on the way to the tournament, they described the entire movie to me. Um, 
And I specifically remember them saying that there was this guy, Billy, who was the Native American tracker who fights the predator on a, on a bridge over a waterfall. Um, and then I saw the movie, and that scene is not in the movie. Um, that, that scene is teased in, in The 87 Predator. He cuts himself and then screams, and, you know. But we never saw it, and I was so disheartened. But I had seen the I had seen the scene in my head, you know. So that was the, the seeds were planted back then to eventually make this movie. Um, so yeah, I would freak out uh, if, if uh, I could time travel and say, "Hey, high five myself and say, hey, buddy, we did it.'" Yeah. Was that part of your pitch, being like, "Yo, I've been cooking this up for decades"? Um, to a degree, to 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 a degree, I certainly shared the personal feelings towards the franchise, and that's included in it. Um, when I was first talking about making the movie, but um, no, the the initial pitch of the film was was basically what what has been seen. And in fact, the name Prey came from they were making the 2018 Predator that mm. felt like this that was going to be sort of a franchise starting thing. Um, and rather than not pitch my movie um, because they were so in the weeds of making this new one, um, I pitched it. With the, with the caveat of and call it prey, um, so that you can now make this kind of movie. While the other, like, like kind of like the Star Wars origin story, like Ho- Solo and Rogue One, like you've got the main franchise going, and then there's these ancillary things. And I said, well, don't compete. I won't compete with that. Which I won't get I'm of, title. I'm of the thought is among the best stuff they've done. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> So take me to the room because this and this is the second thing I I have here. Put me in the room of the aha light bulb moment when you were like, oh, my God, let's call it prey, because that is truly just an all timer of a prequel spinoff title. Really? Just awesome. Um, uh, It really it really it it was. I mean, I also the stages of coming up with the movie were wanting to it was not from I love Predator. What could I do with it? Oh, I know. I'll make a movie where he goes to a different time period. It wasn't that. It was actually thinking of the Nadu story. It was thinking of wanting to make a survival tale, wanting to make a movie that that was pure action, that was like as little dialogue as faction as 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 could be, and as much action as could be. But that is a recipe for, and it's and at best a very visceral experience, not an emotional one. And so I thought, well, there's this other ingredient that we could use, which is borrowing from the sports genre an underdog story and infusing that into this other thing um and so that then said to me okay well is there a protagonist that we never see on screen um and then that was native american and then in particular comanche who so often been relegated to playing like the sidekick or the villain and never really the hero um so uh, those were the elements at play and really wanting to fuse sci-fi um, and period, which has often not really mixed well. And and it, and I didn't want to fall through the same trap of just feeling, oh, visually, that'd be cool, but it might feel like a hat on a hat. And so I like, what could be the science fiction element that would feel essential and necessary to this premise? And then that was the aha of, oh, Predator. He comes from to, he goes from planet to planet looking for the alpha. And here is this character who's trying to prove to her peers and to herself that she could be alpha, that she could be the thing. And none of her folks, she's already in conflict and they're saying, you're not it. 
And then the predator comes and he's also, he's not even going to hunt her because he thinks it's, you're not it, you know? Suddenly that felt like, okay, I'm not just arbitrarily picking the science fiction element. It feels essential to the story. And then uh, I was in the shower um, mm-hmm. thinking of the, I didn't pitch the yet thing of thing. And I was like, wait a second, there's a gun in Predator 2 that has a date on it. It's from some like old, old time, you know? And I and I really wanted this movie to be as early set as early as possible. I did not want to tell a Native American story in the 1800s and like make make it feel like it's a Western and have have to deal with um, cowboys and the, you know thing. I just was like, no no no. I want to be like solely focused on that culture. Um, and then I race out of the shower and Google that gun and see the date is 1715. And I'm oh, like, yeah. oh my gosh, like this is this is this is an now this is an idea. Now I have to reach out to the studio, and that's when it was like that is very cool. Okay, it's got to it, be prey. Yeah, it's it, it's very cool to see how this all sort of built on itself from a, in a very organic way, right? Because usually yeah. when these things, it's the reverse of that, right? It's like how do we keep milking this here? But you actually came to it with like a fresh take on it. Um, I've actually spoken to so I want to be clear that prey is very much a action film sci-fi action but it is also a creature feature to an extent and i have interviewed directors a lot in the past few weeks one who did a recent take on dracula the other who did boogeyman and this is a question i keep coming back to has the recent ufo revelations and the blatant confirmation that they're real change your perception of them i know that you laugh and i laugh too but this is a this is you know they're telling us now aliens are real so i'm curious if that changes your perception of these creatures that we've so long only had presented to us through myth and story and film um i i think it more that kind of thing more impacts the the other kinds of films that one would want to tell about extraterrestrials, you know, I don't think it affects my concept of predator because predator is, is so fantastical. Um, and so like, I, I've always thought of the predator as being sort of a Conan like, uh, uh, species, um, very Frank Rosetta, like, 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 but that are sci-fi, you know, um in their aggression and and um and not at all the way i think of like actual ufo and and united states government interacting with um i don't think that's where the predator stories want to want to be um even though the original movie is actually united states uh uh uh, army force in a special force but um uh but yeah so it doesn't really affect my view of the predator but um, but certainly does, you know, inspire one to think of much more grounded um, tales yeah. of, of uh, human and extraterrestrial interaction. Yeah, because I had just spoken to Rob Savage, who did uh, The Boogeyman, and he was like, mm-hmm. I almost find it scarier when they exist in that sort of in-between of real and not real. And it's like there's just enough of an idea of, well, what if? Yeah. Um, And that's why, you know, with, with stuff like this, like uh, – over the weekend, I just watched, and this is a 20th century film as well. No one okay. will save you, yeah, which yeah. is also very similar to yours in the terms of that. It's just a, a virtually wordless, um, you know, 
underdog human against this overwhelming outer space force. A lot of friends worked on that movie, but Brian. Oh Jones, yeah, yeah, yeah. Friend and genius filmmaker, and um, yeah, super stoked. And it struck struck me how the vision of aliens in that film has become mm. so common that I have to wonder at some point we must have had like factual proof. Here's what they look like. And that's how it's trickled down through years and years. Of well, that, that, I think that's one of the cool things about, about that. His film is that it's finally doing it's the grays. We called, we called that. Um, Cause when, when you, when the first UFO stuff was coming out and the, the book communion um, was all about that kind of alien um and we were seeing pictures of people yeah people were saying oh they all saw the same thing and so all big i think it's the 70s or 60s when that became popularized and we haven't really had a lot of science i think that became cliche after then and we moved into these other kinds of Mm. um alien creatures and so the cool thing of brian's movie is like remember that thing that was like we all saw and we and whenever we had them saw them it was more in like um uh, what's it called? Undiscovered Mysteries. What was that show? Oh, um, oh, I think they just rebooted it on yeah, Netflix. They did. Unsolved or so. Mysteries, yeah. Or, or yeah, 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 yeah. That we never really saw them in in abduction movies. You know, there's Fire in the Sky, but um, uh, it was always in the like this is what they might be like in the real world, and then movies were saying. So Brian taking that and saying, no, what if they're the invade? It's really them, the thing that we all were raised on. You know, believing were what they were. Um, I thought that was really cool of that movie to do. Yeah, so congrats to the friends that, that you have that yeah. worked on that. I, I had to sneak that one into my girlfriend this week. I'm like, all right, we're going to watch this scary movie. And then I hit play and, oh, by the way, there's no words. <laughs> uh, so back yeah. to your film. What did you find to be the most single daunting aspect of satisfying longtime fans of this beloved franchise, but also adding your own personal touch to it? And then tangentially, did you feel the time and place accomplish that in and of itself? Well, I, I so ironic that you posed the question that way, because I would say because of the time and place, it inspired, let's change up the creature a little bit um, in what it's tech te- in its technology and even its aesthetic to some degree. Um, and so that was a daunting thing is that we wanted to make these changes uh, so that diehard fans of the franchise get to experience something new. So it isn't just, oh, yeah, that thing that we like, there's more of it. Because the original Predator movie nailed us so hard because when we saw it, he saw the cloaked figure and, and was and was like, oh, my God, is that the, oh, that's cool. That's the Predator. It's this weird amorphous thing or something. I don't know. And then then later it takes off the cloak and you see it with its bio mask and you're like, Oh no, that's the, Whoa, what a cool looking design for an alien. Oh my gosh. You know? And then it takes off the bio mask and you see its face for the first time. And you're like, Oh my God, no, that's the group. So cool. And then ever since then, we've just been kind of replaying those hits. And so this movie really wanted to like give that, that those feelings back. Uh, not only obviously work for, for newcomers, but even to diehard fans. So um, changing up the cloak and changing up, changing up the, uh, the design of the face mask that um in our mind was was not just like ar- arbitrary and like oh look at how different it could be it was like digging in more to the the yaucha ethos of like oh they're trophy hunters what if they like mm. were the trophies on their faces you know um and then the and then the weaponry and all its tech 
wanting to feel uh, prior to what we've seen before, 200 years prior, um, but also feeling advanced mm-hmm. enough so that it feel beyond any hero on Earth's means, you know, right. that it is part of the premise is how does someone with only earthly means take on something so advanced? We didn't want to dumb it down and make it any easier for our, our protagonists. So, um, and, and usually science fiction films um, or sci-fi fantasy like Star Wars from Star Wars to Star Trek don't really account for um, at time change. You know, it's like, it's like it, they do, they will accommodate it in the aesthetics of like costuming, but, you know, a lightsaber is a lightsaber in any time period. A spaceship is a spaceship. It fly. They all have light speed, even if you're right. 100 years before. Like, no one ever really thinks of tech moving. And so us even deciding to do that um, is already a little bit of a uh, a, a tightrope to walk. But um, everything wants to feel uh, sort of emotionally true, whether it's at literally true. And it just felt like, yeah, you you want in this movie, you kind of want to see a different flavor of it anyway. So let's make sure we deliver on that. Dan, I've got a wrap here. So I just want to squeeze in one more. You've done the Penn Cloverfield Lane Prey. Next up, you've got Stranger Things season five. Is working in franchises something that specifically appeals to you or are you just taking what comes your way or is it a bit of both? I asked because I just saw the creator, which was done by Garrett Edwards, who just like you made a name for himself by putting his own personal stamp on these huge IPs. So I guess my question is, do you have your own original fully holy vision film that you've got in the works going on? I've got several of those that I've been working on forever. Um, it just so happens that the the things that are um, franchise connected are easier to greenlight. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but my attraction to the to the stuff that are you know that's pre existing IP has always been like, well, what if we did this crazy thing with it? Um, yeah. And so I can. Well, and it's that, worked that, so far. And yeah, and that that's that excites me um, as much as the original stuff does. And hopefully, I'll I'll get a chance to bring some of those original tales to screen um, soon as well. Dan, I speak for all film fans when I say we will be online for that one as soon as it hits theaters. Thank you so much for your time today, Dan. Prey is awesome. It's on physical media, and it releases on October 3rd. Thank you, brother. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate your time. Okay, folks, today it is my pleasure to be joined by Humphrey Kerr, the executive director of Wrexham Football Club. It is an honor, as I just said to you off camera, I am fully sort of invested in what's been going on with this club, which I know that a lot of soccer fans from our side of the pond are. My entire football group chat, if not watching all the games, we'll keep up with, oh, the score is this. They won by this much. They lost by that much. And I think that that's such an incredible development for sort of where football has become over the course of my adult life. I started watching in 2017, okay? So let's wind the clocks back to that year. You travel your, you travel back in time and you sell, you tell yourself, Humphrey, you're going to be basically running a football club in Wales in six years' time. What's the first thing that comes out of 2017 used mouth? Uh, I've probably just like come off it. What are you talking about? Like how on, how on earth would any of that come to pass? Um, and then... 
you know, then we probably get into that classic time travel thing of like, okay, well, who who wins the FA Cup in 2020? We can put a big bet on it or, or <laughs> you know, something, something of uh, that nature. Yeah, it's been a crazy journey. And I mean, in 2017, I suppose I was, uh, what was I doing then? I auditioning as an actor uh, and as a, uh, you know, as a writer, I was writing scripts and things, trying to get them made. But 2017 actually was, it's funny you picked that year. That was a really, that was my banner bad year i i earned three thousand american dollars that year um uh, and was living off residuals and stuff that i'd made in previous years but i just could not get arrested in 2017 uh in my in my regular day job so yeah it's funny that that's the year you picked i often use that as like that was the moment i was like you know what i'm gonna give up i'm gonna become a history teacher not that being a history teacher is giving up but giving up my dream you have that look i must say i must say you you. you've got the look for that career (laughs) I will take it. I'll take it. Yes, I show you my my Viking tattoo in the background and my weird <laughs> collection of nautical flags behind me. Yeah, it's um, uh, it's been a crazy journey, and I'm very excited to be here. I just started Mythic Quest this past summer, and I right. saw you pop up, and it finally occurred to me, sort of, the way in which these events must have unfolded. So, talk to me about that big bang moment of you and Rob just talking football and what was that first conversation about i think it was touched on at some point he saw you at work like and you had a game on do you remember what game do you remember what the conversation was totally yeah so that was 2019 and liverpool making a run to the champions league final that year and so Ah, i'm a big red there you go you see correct choice um i'll say uh, uh, the two two teams wrexham and uh, liverpool both playing red it can't be a coincidence it's the correct color um yeah, we were. I so I was watching quite a lot of a lot of Liverpool's games that period because they would start at eight pm, which is twelve pm uh, PST for us when we were working in the writers' room, and that was when our lunch break was. So I would watch, you know, in that hour, that basically the first half and the half time of those Champions League games, and have to switch it off and get back to work. And Rob would sort of peer over my shoulder and always be like, "Oh, it's boring. They don't score enough. There's not enough points. You know, like all they do is flop all the time, which is something that always makes me laugh because it's it's such a classic." A criticism of football and then every time i watch a basketball game it's like everyone seems to flop in basketball as well football too but no nfl right. as well they're doing it too <laughs> it's just part of sport in general is trying to trying to gull the referee in some way way shape or form or another but yeah he kind of was was not that into it until lockdown started i got him to watch sunderland till i die which is a netflix documentary mm. which is great if Fantastic. you haven't seen it Yep. And i'm here to plug a different documentary but that one is also good uh if if you run out of our episodes and yeah, what started out is it felt like very much one of those conversations you have with a friend in a bar, you know, like, oh, we should do this. We should do that. You know, da, da, da. and what I should have realized is that Rob is someone who just is like, can't sit still, can't do nothing. And being being faced with who knows how long sitting, doing nothing. He was like, I got to do something. I'm going to buy a soccer team. Um, and <laughs> lo and behold, he did. And here we are three years later. So uh, I'm, I'm kind of jump around a bit because you mentioned 2019, which is the year the greatest soccer game I've ever watched ever in my entire life. Liverpool yes. four, Barcelona, Barcelona nil. First, yeah, was that the game that he caught? <laughs> yeah, that was not. I uh, no, no, he didn't actually see that one. And I think I'm being genuinely honest here because I think in the past in interviews I've been like, yeah, yeah, no, I think it was that one. I don't, I don't think it was. I think it was actually the Bayern Munich game away was the mm. one that he, that in particular, I went crackers. When Mane scored that incredible goal, I'm sure you remember yeah, well that like long ball, and he brought it down and like turned, sort of on a sixpence and like wrong-footed Manny Neuer and like lifted it over him and 
Uh, I went and then crackers. Salah just desperately trying to stop himself from stealing that goal. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and and that was the thing that I think what it was was that we you know we were all sitting around talking about whatever, and I would have my laptop on on silent like in in front of me, and I think when we scored that goal, I just went like rah, 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 like absolutely <laughs> crazy, and everyone was like, oh my god, what is happening over there? Like you know what possibly could elicit that kind of reaction? And he yeah he sort of he was aware of it then, but no he he didn't because uh, I remember I watched that Barcelona game at my friend Sam's house in London because I guess I was in the UK at that stage for some reason. Um, and um, obviously that's such a core, you know, as you say, the greatest game that I've ever watched. I remember every element of watching that game. Well, so that is my point. I want to talk about your team, not mine. So that's my game, right? That is my, I could remember where I was, what I was wearing, how loud I yelled, Mm -hmm. not counting the Foster save, not counting match last year. What is that game for you so far during your time at this club? Um, and I and would it be nuts if I didn't say you can't choose that? It it might be because that was just so crazy and such an emotional release and like I I mean I scream myself hoarse at the exa- I'm actually really looking forward to seeing the episode about that day because it was such a kind of blur in some ways. Yeah, it was such a it was such a kind of feeling of being part of something nuts that I quite want to see what the camera caught of, of that. But mm. I would say other than that, there's actually another game that I know is featured in this this season of the documentary, which was the game right after that. Or maybe it was the game after the game. I think it was the game after the game after that. So, so spoiler alert, we beat Notts County towards the end of the season. That set us up for this, right? Okay, well, it's in our hands. We've got, we got to win. You know, we've got th- four games left. If we can just get uh, seven points from these four games, we'll, we're, we're guaranteed. If Notts County drop more points, it might be easier. But as long and as I want to add the context of this being a six pointer, yeah. So that was post the six pointer. We then drew the next game nil nil, and it was like that was mm-hmm. not part of the plan. It was supposed to be, you know, let, let's go win that game, keep the pressure up. And we came back to the race course and played Yeovil, who were in danger of relegation. But after about fifty five minutes, it was nil nil again, and and you, the whole stadium was getting very antsy and very stressed and very nervous, myself included, and um. You know, at that point, uh, uh, one of our players stepped up, scored a rather unusual figure to score a goal, stepped up and scored a goal. And it was the culmination of he'd had like just a really difficult time for the last couple of months off the pitch. And he came back into the side for the first time. He hadn't been training for about a month and a half because of some some family issues. Came back in, scored the goal that basically set us on the path to like it, it kind of, you know, all the stress went out of the place. We won three nil. And that was a really that was the moment where I was like, it's done. Like we only need we need to get three points from our last two games. We're definitely going to do it either here or or away from home. And so that's that was a really great night for me personally. And and I know that they cover that quite extensively in the doc because it's it's a pretty extraordinary story. And now is that one in the same of when I would hope it occurred to you a bit sooner? But when was the moment? Because I could imagine, right? There are times where you probably just want to curl up in a ball and say to yourself what the fuck did I get into? And then Absolutely. at times where, where it truly crystallizes what, what not so much what, but why you got into this. Yes. Are there games that sort of define those feelings for you? The one that made you think, I'm going back to writing. Or the one that oh, made you think, yeah. you know what, I get this now. Well, we lost 5-0 on Saturday. And that, that was yeah. definitely a moment oh. where I was like, oh, God, that, that puts a real... You know, that ruins your weekend and your week. You know, what are we on now? It's Monday evening and I'm still uh, uh, smarting from that. Um, 
But no, do you know what? I mean, it, weirdly, it's not even so much the games that make me feel like this is this is I'm so glad I'm doing this. It, it's more just those interactions with with folk from a, a, and in the town who, you know, have loved this football club their whole lives. I'm new to this. You know, I, I only got into Wrexham in, in, you know, sort of the spring of 2020 and talking to people who are like, I've been coming here for 60 years. It's been mostly of those 60 years, about 55 of them have sucked um, for one reason or another. <laughs> Um, but the last three years have been the most fun three years of, of the whole thing. I mean, truly, you are talking to like 60, 70 year old people who will come up to me in the car park and be like, I'm just having fun. This is so fun. And it hasn't been a lot of fun for a while. And that that feels really special. That's the thing. I mean, it sounds it sounds kind of corny in, in a way, but it's it sounds corny if you don't get thing. the sport. If, right. if you don't understand the sport to the extent that we do, it sounds mm-hmm. very cliched but when you're and this is why i think this doc is is and i just want to say this as a point the fact that ryan reynolds and rob have become two of the shepherds of football in the states (laughs) is such an unbelievable development but Mm. your doc is the first time that i huge football fan have heard of article 48 i always knew what it was but i never had it so i think the more you understand how there it's and this sounds corny too it's more than just a game it's a way of life Mm. for these towns they live and die off of literally the towns live and die off of how well the club is doing so i i don't think that that's corny i think that genuine Mm. fans of the sport understand exactly your thought there a hundred percent and i and i i i also think you know when you look at sport in the u.s you have there are equally those people you know I like baseball. I, I like the Red Sox. And, you know, I know for the people of Boston, when they like broke, reverse the curse, like what a, what an outpouring of emotion that is and how tied up it is with people. I remember watching the, the documentary. Um, uh, it's, I think it's called Four Days in September or something. Mm. All about when they, uh, where they went three games down. October, four yes. In October, yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, when they went three games down. That's in the, now in the, the second sports doc that you plug that's not yours <laughs> i know yeah well, i like sports docs they're good but yeah you saw in that people saying like my dad my dad lived and died as a red sox fan never saw them win a championship you know like he's mm. been his whole life just suffering and um you know i think that's something that's common to you know if you, if you like sport if you support a team if you if you get the the, the magic and wonder of of any sport at all you will you know you'll enjoy this documentary you'll enjoy seeing people that cathartic release, which spoiler alert in season two, I think you're going to get to see a little bit of, uh, yeah, people get, breaking their long curse. You lead me into a point that I brought up to Wayne Jones, and it came out of my own personal time going to Liverpool in 2019. After yeah, it was the it was the it was the Anfield match against Spurs where that like own goal sort of like trickled in at the end, yes. and I was like, all right, something something magic is going on. I've yes, got to get yes, there. Yes. So I booked the trip within like two months, went on my own and sort of I figure like, oh, I'm going to be called Yankee, this and that. Mm -hmm. The way that the culture so fully embraced me and was so stoked over the fact that like I literally packed up my shit and came to just hang out. You know, they love that so much. So I asked Wayne this and I would love to hear your point of view as both a fan and somebody who is literally a executive in the sport. How is the Mm -hmm. town coping with, you know, Wayne said that some of the fans were upset that the preseason went a bit too long and they wish that they had come home soon right. that of course is the flip side of the coin of having celebrity owners and a club who is growing so i'm curious yeah. how the town is coping with what used to be inherently and solely theirs now becoming 
effectively a global product. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I've been so impressed by how gracious and like welcoming people from Wrexham have been. You know, I mean, I literally today saw a story of a guy there's a guy called Joe, who is an American fan who has become obsessed. And he's he's been to Wrexham like three or four times in the last couple of years. He's perennially there. And he uh, bought a GoPro for, for this uh, lady, Millie Tipping, who's one of our fans who featured pretty heavily in the second episode of, of this season uh, of the documentary. Um, she's, a, she's a young woman. She's autistic. She's a, a oh. Wrexham obsessive, comes to every game, knows all the players, does everything. She makes these blogs and vlogs of her trips and joe bought her a gopro and brought it with her in hand and like they are there these connections these friendships these like relationships that are building between international fans and, and local fans are, are extraordinary i keep meeting people again in the car park he'll say oh you know i got chatting to someone on twitter one of one of the local fans and you know we just became friends and anyway he invited me over and i me and my wife stayed in his house he, he picked us up from the airport we stayed in his house this weekend going to the game tomorrow he sorted us out with tickets and we we're, you know, then we're going up to Liverpool to do the the Beatles tour, and then we fly back to Pittsburgh or wherever it is on yep. Monday. And you know, that the race fans have been so welcoming, but that doesn't surprise me because when I first arrived as a quite an outsider, as not from Wrexham, didn't work in in football, a little bit of a like, who's this guy? Why is he here? Everybody was so friendly to me and so welcoming, and just sort of, I think when you have a passion for something that someone else shares that passion mm. there's an instant connection there where you're like you can't really get too mad at somebody if they're like well you love this i love this as well you know you just you know already you're going to like hit it off to a certain extent and and that's been proven time and again so we've got to start to wind down here i want to make sure i squeeze in these last two let's talk about yeah. your episode which is effectively about all the stuff that went wrong with you in charge i'm sorry to put it that way <laughs> sure. that's just that's just how it was it's not quite how i would uh describe it eric but yes i see i see how you would uh, get to that yeah let's talk about the blimp that stirred up all all that shit i'm the type of guy that could sense the exact moment that a bad idea starts going south and i see Mm. you standing on that pitch looking white as a ghost man i just i felt so sorry for you because i know that feeling of like this is stupid this is stupid why are we doing this why are we doing this so just walk me through like when that sort of wave of oh man this is so fucking stupid crashed sure. over you and what that felt like of oh it's not like i wrote a bad joke like there are like right. government and provincial like stakes yeah. here yeah well the thing is that as executive director you know my name is on you know i am legally liable for lots of things that the football club <laughs> so does, which you're Robin the one Ryan... who shows up in court yes basically <laughs> it's been made clear to me that if things go wrong i go to jail and they you know <laughs> they swan off into the sunset so no i mean my my thing my big thing with it really because it's very genuine as people will see when they watch the episode you can see i'm genuinely like why is this thing here i wish we weren't doing this like please god can this go away it's more actually born out of you know i i, I feel a huge sense of responsibility to the fans of the club to, to the the ethos of the club like this is a serious football organization we're here to win games. We're here to represent the ta- the town of Wrexham. It's not a joke. It's not. It's not a prank. It's not like it's to be taken really seriously. So I'm always looking to protect like the dignity of the football club. And so yeah, when that first arrived, I was like, this is undignified. And it's you know there was a plan which I don't think even necessarily shows up, but you might remember from at the time, Rob had also made a giant inflatable uh, version of Rob's uh, of Ryan's face. For the players to run out of that they could stick over the tunnel. So you know when you I, I do make yeah. 
like at college football games or football games, sometimes they have like a giant helmet and, never, and the players will run out of the inflatable helmet at the start of the game. He wanted them to do that in our game on the Tuesday night, which was against, I think, Halifax or someone like that. And I just was like, please, I beg you, I beg you, do not make our players run out of an inflatable Ryan head on a match day. Like that's, that's sacrosanct. And so we, yes, the I couldn't defeat the blimp, but I defeated the inflatable head. It got used in a commercial uh, or in the video for Ryan's birthday, I think, that, that Rob had made. Um, and yeah, the giant blimp with ryan's acid scarred face was was flown over the race course and um you know actually then of course everyone in town thought it was great and loved it and i was like oh i was being too precious about things uh people get the joke and they they realize it's done in a spirit of fun so final one here and i understand that your literal job maybe you have a pre-packaged response that you have Mm. when you get asked this sort of thing but i really want to get into what we've sort of been talking about this whole time and that's the Humphrey inside of you that can't believe that this is his life right now. Okay. Mm. When you're laying in bed at night and it's the, that moment where your mind wanders off to far spots, you're thinking of things that you didn't even know were possible to think about in the, in those times, where do you see this Wrexham journey ending both for the club and for you? Well, it's a good question. I mean, at the start of this process, you know, I was very much, I was often the brakes. Rob was the gas. Ryan was the passenger. And I was wondering, well, I don't know. I mean, like, let's not, I don't know if that will happen. or Let's just lower expectations. As time has gone on, you know, we really have, our rise has been kind of stratospheric. I mean, in terms of, you know, we have only gone up one division, but in terms of our commercial opportunities, the interest, the merchandising sales, the this, that, and the other, all that has been, crazy and that has definitely left me going i don't see why this club couldn't get to the premier league like ultimately often it's a case of like if you have better more resources than other teams you tend to do better than them and by and large you know the resources that we have are growing exponentially in a, in a crazy way and I, I can absolutely see this football club being in the premier league um as for what that does for me at a certain point you know uh the idea that i might may have to be in like the box with sir kenny dalgleish making polite small talk I can very much get behind that. So I'm going to um, say we do still it. need a uh, full-time director of football. That's way beyond the scope of my understanding. <laughs> One of the things that uh, where I think we have been successful so far is recognizing our limitations. Rob and Ryan and I, we we do not know how to pick a footballer, right? We don't know how to, you know, uh, break down a tactical analysis of, uh, you know, of Crawley Town and be like, this is how you beat Crawley Town. So. We're going to, you know, employ people who do know how to do that, resource them, support them and say, go for it. We, You've got our backing. That's the plan. That's awesome. Thank you so much for your time. This was a great chat. I really just admire the journey that your career has been on. As I said, the fact that Ryan and Rob are shepherds for a game that I love, they are pushing this sport forward more than here, virtually any more than anything or one that I've ever seen. So for you being a part of that, thank you as well. Everybody not only is welcome to Wrexham, a fantastic sports doc. It is truly one of my favorite shows on TV. Thank you so much, sir, and great luck this year. Thank you, you, man. I'm going to make him an offer, Captain. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. 